Students in Book Club podcast. My name is James. This is Marco Sparks. Welcome back, Marco. This week Welcome on the back, pod, James. we're talking Snow Crash chapters 56 through 60. Right in the home stretch now. Only two more episodes after this, I think, and we'll be done. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. get into the climaxes. You can feel it. You can feel it building. Mm-hmm. How did this uh, section grab you, Marco? Uh, the first two chapters are not overwhelming, but a lot. It's it's real. Like Neil Stevenson has like this is his like system of the world. This is his like all encompassing philosophy for yeah. how he what he thinks like you know how shit works, and he's gonna lay it all at your feet here. Well, it's like you 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 thought you got it all with like the librarian earlier. Mm-hmm. That was like a prelude. This I mean, is the in real some ways, treaty. I do think you need the like hero explains it to somebody else just so we're all on the same page type of thing, you know? What's fascinating, though, is that he is explaining it to the masters of the universe. Yeah. That, to me, is the fascinating part. Who seemingly um, would have had access to all this information. Right. And people to go through like, it for them. Didn't, yeah, like didn't have somebody to like synthesize it. Like, like Lagos. Mm-hmm. They had access of some sort to Lagos. Yeah. And even Juanita. Um... I just want to run through and have you define two of the terms before we get into this again because it's gonna they're gonna come up some. Okay, me and N. Okay, so me is. I feel like we should have that back in our in our in our yeah. immediate foreground again. And we say me, just picture me, but in italics. It might be yeah. like May or something. I don't know how one pronounces it, but this is like this is the code basically. This is the the raw code that runs the site. The ancient Sumerian society. Yeah. It's like, how do I cook bread? Download some me and execute it. You just cooked bread. Mm. It's kind of the example given. And N is like the custodian of the me. Um, Enki, of course, was an N. He was an especially good N who's kind of like a hacker himself. It seems like most of the N uh, aren't like creating their own me is the impression I get. They're just sort of like the ones who give it out. Mm. They kind of like, they're the keepers of the me. Yeah. Like put patches on it. Yeah, but they're not like like Enki, like he's writing his own shit, you know, like he's he's creating his own programs. Whereas it like, the, like N, a, the other N are not doing that. They're just the kind of N, like they they're the ones in charge of like giving out the me when it's needed. But the N of Enki is directly a response to Ashura's virus. Well, no, the Namchub of Enki is. Sorry, the Namchub. Enki I'm is sorry, an yeah, yeah. yeah, the Namchub yeah, yeah, yeah. of Enki. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Is... The Namchub is like his his spell, his mm-hmm. invocation. Yeah. In this case, his patch. Yeah, and we will get into all that in just a moment when we talk about Chapter 56. Before we do, though, do you want to mention our book is out. If you like the pod and you want to support the pod, go check out our books. Uh, it's a series of Girl Detective Mysteries called the, uh, the Trouble of Girl Detective Mystery Series. You can go to MyNameIsTrouble.com. We just came out with book number three, Trouble Takes a Holiday. It's available on Kindle and Apple Books and Roku. You can get print and uh, paperback and hardcover versions through Amazon or Barnes & Noble or other places that sell books. Um, Amazon is a real pain in the ass about the whole thing, so you might see a weird higher-than-normal price there. If you do, don't buy it. Go to Barnes & Noble or some other bookseller and get it at the correct price, which is... Fifteen ninety nine paperback, twenty five or twenty four ninety nine uh, hardcover. I haven't looked in a few days. What is the Amazon price now? It like weirdly went up. The hardcover went up to like forty bucks for some reason. I have no what idea why. What the fuck? Yeah, and like the paperback was like twenty five, and the hardcover is back down. Last I checked, the paperback was still showing a higher price. I don't have any way to control that. Amazon sets the price, like because it's it's we're publishing through like a distributor, and Amazon just like picks that up and sells it. Wow. So, yeah, it's annoying. Amazon has been a complete pain in the ass through this whole process this time. So I know that with the previous two books, there's been the occasional reseller that looks mm-hmm. like they're authenticated with one of these other services. And they've been published or selling them for like higher price, which never made sense to me because it's like, why would you buy My Name is Trouble for $29 when yeah. you could go buy it for 14 Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's a whole weird racket with the book selling on Amazon to begin with. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like if you go go look up like a famous book like a Neil Stevenson book and you'll see just like all these weird yeah. editions and other booksellers and whatnot. Which I highly respect if you if you want to go spend that amount of money on this book, but 
in doing it we're definitely not we're not any of that yeah, money. it's not yeah. going to us so honestly if, if you just want to support the pod you don't really care uh buy the kindle version we get much more money from that than the print yeah. versions but the print versions are a lot cooler yeah. um kind of a and this it's this book i don't know if we ever mentioned on this pod or not but it's kind of like a double album it's two books in one uh you kind of read the first book and then you flip it upside down you read the second book so you know, you got a lot of bang for your buck there. Um, found a girl detective named Trouble. In book three, she's gone to uh, Old Bavaria to solve a mystery in a haunted castle. So lots fuck, of fun. Fuck, yeah. Not a whole lot of N and me and uh, Enki. No Raven. Not. No Raven over there. Maybe a, 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 the dash of white tea. Mm-hmm. One can also hope. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's dive into chapter 56. Uh, as we just left off. Hero had he's he's in the street. He like found a Wi-Fi connection uh, after like rampaging with his like you know mini Gatling gun through the raft, and now he's jacked into some Wi-Fi, and he's uh, just having a meeting with Uncle Enzo and Mister Lee and Ing. Yeah, who like we said have really apparently not dug into the Lagos and the librarian yeah. shit. So Hero's explaining to them that he's on the raft looking for a bit of software medicine to be specific written 5000 years ago by a sumerian personage named enki a neurolinguistic hacker so they're basically I love this book. yeah i know just, i love it just, <laughs> and they're they're positioning enki's the nam show of enki is like an antivirus basically yeah. you know yeah. yeah um and so this is i mean we're going to have mr lee and uncle enzo and ing all just being like what is this what is that to kind of help us along with this info dump you know so they're like, oh, what does that mean? It's a, a person capable of programming other people's minds with verbal streams of data known as NAMSHUBs. Yeah. So we hear we've got two kinds of language in our heads. The kind we're using now is acquired. It patterns our brains as we're learning it. But there's also a tongue that's based on the deep structures of the brain that everyone shares. These structures consist of basic neural circuits that have, have to exist in order to allow our brains to acquire higher languages. Oh, linguistic infrastructure, Uncle Enzo says. <laughs> so... My impression of this is like, I think Hero is like, I think I got it all figured out and I'm going to info dump, but I don't know that he like 100% knows this is correct. I think this is kind of like, he's, he's read all the documentation. This is his best guess at how this all fits together. Yeah. I mean, I assume that this is like the, the sequence and I, I can't think of a better example, but like the sequence is like somewhere in the end of like an episode of house where he's like berating his staff mm-hmm. and somewhere in the talking he gets it, yeah. but I, which I find fascinating because you hope that your character doesn't have to take a moment to stop and info dump to your audience. Where you're like, Jesus, I'm really worried that the audience doesn't totally understand what we're doing going into the climax. But like, if you can find an angle on it, yeah, that's good. At least yeah. it's something. Well, I mean, I, I'm not really much of a programmer myself. Every once in a while at work, I have to dip into code a little bit. And there is these moments occasionally where like you, you've read all the documentation and you, you finally figure out like, oh, this little thing, this attribute is what I need to change here to get mm. to what I want to happen to happen. You know, it's like it's like now I understand it, even though I kind of had to figure it out on my own. So the question is, then, if you do just a little bit of dipping into the code for your mm-hmm. job, how susceptible are oh, I, you? I'm not to susceptible crash? at all. I have no deep structures. <laughs> <laughs> so here supposes that deep structure and infrastructure mean the same thing in this regard. Mm-hmm. And that glossolalia or speaking in tongues is the output side of the part of that part of the brain. You can access that part of the brain by bypassing all the higher acquired languages, but there's an input side as well. Yeah. Um, uh, he says it works in reverse. Under the right conditions, your ears or eyes can tie into the deep structures bypassing the higher language functions. Which is to say, someone who knows the right words can speak words or show you visual symbols that go past all your defenses and sink right into your brainstem. Mm. That situation, Ning says, the people who own the computer are helpless. Mm-hmm. So your brain is helpless, basically. Yeah. So Mr. Lee, of course, asks, like, what does this all have to do with the clay tablet on the Enterprise? And we get, uh, God, I have so many fucking... I know. I, I, like, I just I like, like s- almost all the next massive page highlighted. Oh, seriously, I'm like, I'm scrolling through and it's like, I don't even want to read all this because it's just like 400 words. I don't don't know. I I feel like Hero is already like describing it in a very simplified, like summary type of way, you know? So I don't know. I don't know how we simplify it further. Um, Seriously. The language, the mother tongue is a vestige of an earlier phase of human social development. Primitive societies were controlled by verbal rules called me. The me were like little programs for humans. They were the necessary part of the transition from caveman society 
an organized agricultural society. Uh, then he gives the example about uh, plowing a furrow in the ground and planting grain or like baking bread. Like there's me for that. You know, there's me for higher level functions like war and diplomacy and religion. These are all these skills to like operate your, your self-sustaining culture. Well, we're like programmed into this me. They're written mm -hmm. down on these tablets and passed around in oral tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the repository of the me was a local temple, which was a database for me is controlled by the priest king called an N. Uh, so he gets the bread analogy and you need to make bread. You go to the inn, you get your, your program, your meat program for baking bread, and then you carry it out. And they had to have a database because like the meat had to be properly timed. Like you wouldn't want people to like be plowing the fields in the wrong time of the season. So you need somebody to like control that and like, you know, dispense the meat when it was the correct time to do so. It, yeah. it makes me wonder because he'll he later talk, talk about Enki as like the first, possibly the first person with like, kind of like aware like self-aware mm -hmm. consciousness mm -hmm. but so like how did the other end come about like how did the end i guess there's a program for the like there's me for the end that says this is how you be an end basically you know well i mean also dare i say to be, not to be that guy but like where does free will fit into all of this I mean, it doesn't sound like it really totally exists at this point I mean, you have to be self-conscious and aware to have free will. Presumably. I mean, I suppose it exists, but like not only in like a caveman level. Like right. the, the me, like like when it's telling you, "Hey, go bake bread." I don't know. It seems like you could just like you know say the me to somebody to make bread, and they just have to go do it. I don't know if they can just not do it at that point. You know. Right, right. I mean, I guess the free will is like you, the caveman, is like I should go to the shaman and learn how to bake bread. And I don't know, acquire some higher. But like, could, for, couldn't for in just walk up to somebody and just like you know, blah blah blah, like do like the me for baking bread, and then they just like start doing it, like they're not a just robot like or something. Puppet yeah. master, a society, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Enzo equates this with the chicken and egg problem, like how did society first become organized? Uh, so here it talks <laughs> about the metavirus. About, yeah. yeah, here it talks about the metavirus that cause info systems to infect themselves with uh, customer viruses. Did I write customized that viruses? Customized viruses. Sorry. I wrote this all in a crazy <laughs> frenzy. Um, but yeah, there might be a basic principle of nature like Darwinian selection or maybe an actual piece of info that floats around the universe in comets and radio waves. I know this was mentioned in the earlier chapters with the with the librarian, but I, somehow I, I don't know, like the full gravity of the uh, biological aspect of the, yeah, the virus, like on the mm. radio waves and comets uh, didn't fully hit me. But yeah, either way it comes down to this. Any infosystem of sufficient complexity will inevitably become infected with viruses. Viruses generated from within itself. So he's so basically point, saying the, the human body is a complex enough system that these viruses are going to perpetuate. Yeah. And at some point in the past, human race was infected with the metavirus and has been with us ever since. Um, so the first thing it did was spawn a whole Pandora's box of DNA viruses, smallpox, influenza, and so on. Health and longevity became a thing of the past. Doesn't memory of this event, the preserved the legends from the fall from paradise, in which mankind was ejected from a life of ease into a world infested with disease and so pain. They were all Numenorians until they got that metavirus, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Ing wonders like, there's only so many viruses that work of human DNA, and the metavirus created all of them. And, you know, could be is the answer. Anyway, Sumerian culture, society based on me, was another manifestation of the metavirus. Uh, which presumably is because even with the need for the N and the me, I feel like the book is saying that the Sumerians' culture was just so erudite and evolved and like the language was so much better. I don't know. I, that's not what I'm getting. I'm getting that they were, it's like they're all running on binary. And so they're mm. like, you know, they're like, they're, as they say in the program world, close to the metal, uh, yeah. you know, like their language is like very close to the metal and it can like affect people in their deep structures. And okay. it's not necessarily more evolved. Um, it was more susceptible, really. Like, it's basically, like, okay. I think what it's saying is that like their whole culture was basically the outcome of a virus. Like, just like, you know, infant timeline, happy accident sort of thing where it's like. Mm the virus hit and mutated and whatever in this particular way to make their culture evolve into something sustainable rather than just well, like hunter gatherer. That's an incredibly like sci-fi concept. The idea mm -hmm. that you could run into a human civilization and that essentially is alien contact. Yeah. Because they are the, 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 the spawn. Like their of... brain literally works differently because 
of this metavirus. This exposure to something long, mm-hmm. long ago. Um, yeah. So, speaking of that, Mister Lee's like, "Excuse me, you were saying that civilization started out as an infection, and in civilization in primitive form, yes, we're told that each me was a sort of virus kicked out of the metavirus principle." Again, going back into the bread making, um, you know, self-sustaining piece of information. Yeah. Simple question: Natural selection. People who know how to make bread will live better and be more apt to reproduce than people who don't. Naturally, they'll spread the me, acting as host for the self-replicating piece of information that makes it a virus. Sumerian culture, with its temples full of me, was just a collection of successful viruses that accumulated over the millennia. It was a franchise operation, except it had ziggurats instead of golden arches and clay <laughs> tablets instead of three-ring binders. So, like. We're we're tying it all into the franchises here. It's like just in the same way that the the three ring binder is like the franchise virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so too is is culture itself, kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. They, I don't know. He he starts to go some wild places in this where I'm just like sitting up in my chair, like whoa, you know. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that he can tie it back into his own stylized world that he's created i think you know whether you you buy into it or not is is is, is applaud worthy uh there's a great bit here the sumerian word for mind or wisdom is identical to the word for ear that's what these people were ears of bodies attached passive receivers of information but enki was different enki was an n who just happened to be especially good at his job he had the unusual ability to write new me he was a hacker he was actually the first modern man or fully conscious human being just like us to the point where he realized that eventually Sumer was stuck in a rut. Yeah, here it says, I suspect that he was lonely, being one of the few, perhaps the only conscious human being in the world. He realized that in order for the human race to advance, they had to be delivered from this grip of uh, viral civilization. So he created the Namshub of Enki. It's a computer virus that spread along the same routes as the me and the metavirus. It went into the deep structure of the brain and reprogrammed him. Henceforth, no one could understand the Sumerian language or any other deep structure-based language. So cut off from the common deep structures, people had developed new languages, had nothing in common with each other. Uh, further transmission of the metavirus was blocked, basically. But I think the, the book's also saying that if you're forced to create new languages that aren't related to each other, you're, it's, it's consciousness. Like you're creating something almost wholly original or for the well, it's more bit, original. It's harder for ideas to, which are, you know, viruses in a way to mm-hmm. um, multiply. Because if, right. if different, you know, groups of people are all speaking their own languages, you know, it's like if you have something written in like JavaScript and you try to, to take it to a computer that only runs like, I don't know, Fortran or something like it's just not going to do anything, you know, yeah, like it would have to be translated. Well, and, and just the way the 90s was saying something oblique about like semiotics and memetics before mm-hmm. before we come to understand a meme as something where. Oh, he it's gets like into a, that a little bit later where I was just or, like, holy shit. You know, this here's is, a picture of DiCaprio and Great Gatsby holding a drink and with a funny slogan over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I read this all like before Twitter and I like developed all these thoughts about Twitter in the year since. And I'm like, was was this was I already infected with this mind virus from the beginning, which is why I've never really liked Twitter. <laughs> you just need to go create a Twitter bot where every minute it tweets out like one sentence from this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, that's the solution. Yeah. Uh, so you might say it's the Namshaw Venki was the beginnings of human consciousness when we first had to think for ourselves. Um, yeah. So he talks about Babel as a gateway in our minds, gateway uh, that was opened by the Namshaw Venki that broke us free from the metavirus and gave us the ability to think, moved us from a materialistic world full of, to a dualistic world, a binary world with both a physical and spiritual component. Rational religions, he's going to talk about. A little yeah, bit. so he talked. There's a whole, I don't know how much deep we want to go into the religious part of this because there's a lot of that. But um, mm. so Ng is chiming in because they start talking about like the code of Hammurabi and like like cult prostitutes and stuff like that. And then he's like, wait a minute, now you're talking about biological virus again. He's like, exactly. That's the whole point of a share. It's both. So it's like the this metavirus is biological and informational at the same time. Exchange of bodily fluids, which can mean sex, you know, it can mean, you know, breast milk with, with orphans. Um, I mean, he's just this close to tying into the fact that squirt is mostly pee. Yeah. And I think they're basically saying that, um, that the, the biological component makes people more susceptible to the metavirus. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, uh, no one studied all this except for maybe all Bob Reif. 
I think it definitely brings the mother tongue closer to the surface, makes people more apt to speak in tongues, more susceptible to me. So like if you, that's what the cult of Ashera does basically. And the, the biological virus they spread. Uh, and then, then we, we start to just go completely insane here where he says a viral idea can be stamped out as happened with Nazism, bell bottoms and Bart Simpson t-shirts, but Ashira, because it has a biological aspect can remain latent in the human body. Uh, we're all susceptible to the pull of viral ideas like mass hysteria or a tune that gets stuck in, it gets into your head uh, to keep humming all day until you spread it to someone else. Jokes, urban legends, crackpot religions, Marxism. <laughs> no yeah. No matter how we, uh, smart we get, there's always this deep irrational part that makes us potential hosts for self-replicating information. And the only thing that keeps these things from taking over the world is the babble factor, the walls of mutual incomprehension that compartmentalize the human race and stop the spread of viruses. So before I get to this next part, I found that all very fascinating, this idea that there's something in the deep structure of the human brain which makes us susceptible to viral ideas. I mean, I don't, you don't necessarily need the metavirus component for that. You know, mm. you, could, you, you could get there purely psychologically, I think, but I do think there's a lot of... Uh, uh, there's a, a lot of there there, I would say, to that idea. So using um, the battleground that is Twitter, once again, mm-hmm. like you would say that, that we need a babble impact I, on Twitter. I, I'm saying that if if I, if you were making Fight Club today, he's not bombing the uh, offices of credit card companies. He's bombing the data centers of social media companies. Uh, it just, just to stop the tweets, folks, uh, Elon Musk, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's not. He's not Enki. Don't don't even pretend that he is. No, but but I mean, I, I think he is a good example of like, do we want somebody with this much power and influence to be able? Like, do we want anybody with this much power and influence to be able to spread Whoa. their message to millions and millions of people? He he. I believe I I, I don't follow him. I don't I don't seek him out. Mm-hmm. I only see him when when something like Twitter delivers his gospel to me. But he said flat out, like Twitter is the it's the next step to I can't remember what he called it, but the everything app. Oh yeah, X is what he calls it. Which yeah, like, I mean, God, imagine if Twitter was your whole phone and nobody wants that. But I mean, that's that's breaking down the barriers and like like it's it's a it's a singularity of bullshit right there. I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean that that's 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 Bond, that's El Bob Rife slash Bond villain shit. Um. Yeah, so Babel led to an explosion of language. It's all part of Enki's plan. You know, monoculture is like a field of corn, susceptible to infections, but genetically diverse cultures like a prairie are extremely robust. So that part in particular I had highlighted because I feel like that that kind of gets to a lot of my modern angst about social media is this idea of the monoculture, which I've mm-hmm. been like, like since the early 2010s, it's kind of been bothering me more and more that like, it seems like everybody online kind of has the same opinion or close to it. You know, it's like, it's obviously there are like kind of, you know, people on the other side of the aisle who have their own separate monoculture. Like it's not, it's not necessarily one monoculture yet, but it feels like the variety of thought is getting more and more concentrated into very, very narrow lanes. Well, the the difference is the right eats what it identifies as enemies. The left eats itself. Mm-hmm. but I, um, I i remember do you remember like when everybody was mad at the jonathan franzen back when he was like knocking which twitter time? in like 2010 or something okay they're just like everybody just hated that guy oh my god this guy says twitter sucks and is like making us all stupid you fucking old buffoon you, you know? and it's like i feel like if you went back and read like his criticism of twitter now you'd be like he completely fucking nailed it you know? yeah yeah i mean the the we respond to activating emotions Mm -hmm. joy and anger we find joy from simplicity the problem is that we 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 turn on and and lose our ability to parse nuance yeah that's the thing that's killing a lot of our discourse i I do want to say though there's this idea of like diverse thought that's out there as Mm -hmm. like we like um there is like some dude at google who eventually got fired because he's such a pain in the ass but he like he wrote this whole manifesto about how like Companies mm-hmm. should be should be seeking diversity through diverse thought, not like diverse, you know, people, you yeah. know. And so it's like like in his worldview, like if you hired 10 white people, but three of them were Democrats and three of them are Republicans and 
I don't know, two of them were Green Party and one was Libertarian and, you know, whatever. The rest were independent, you know, like he would call that diversity of thought. And it's like, okay, but that's not like, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have. But like, you're not like, if you're just hiring a bunch of white people still, like that's, I don't think that's enough to like create the the true diverse culture that we need. Well, the problem too is that the 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 big thinkers who are framing it that mm-hmm. way are white, and they don't hold any kind of possibility that the background of somebody who doesn't mm-hmm. look like them could have a whole other treasure chest in it. Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, these these people are all Democrats, but you know, if they come from very different cultural backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds, they might in fact be very different from each other you know, whether or not they happen to be on one side of the aisle or not, which isn't to say that like you should just never hire anybody on the right side of the aisle or anything. But like, I think, I think the, the diverse, uh, point of view thing, it's kind of, it's, I I don't know. I, I'm not sure it's entirely in good faith. I kind of feel like it's a way to hide behind perpetuating, you know, non-diverse hiring practices, you know, for sure. Because, because if if you take that example of the 10 diverse thinkers, Mm -hmm. They're all they're all benefiting from the same privilege. Yeah, with no no possible comprehension of again people who don't look like them or have their background. Anyway, so eventually Hebrew comes out and it's it can possess exceptional flexibility and power. You have the Deuteronomist, which this and the earlier stuff kind of makes me want a Neil Stevenson book about the Deuteronomist. I feel like he's got some thoughts. I just wonder is there's like there's like a whole two pages here that's all just about like like Judaism and then like Christianity and like, like, was this like direct from his like comparative religion class or something, you know, like one wonders, like, I don't know. I I don't know if we want to go into this all just because it's a lot, um, but it's basically all just about how like the Deuteronomist basically created like Judaism and, you know, to like get people to reject like Asherah worship. Um, Well, and also they're living in a time of extreme nationalism and xenophobia. mm -hmm. That is unfortunately very recognizable sure yeah. now yeah so that was the birth of rational religion all the subsequent monotheistic religions um you know religions of the book um and so then you had christianity you had islam um but there's you know all this like you know latent possibility of infection because of like you know this metavirus that had coiled around our brainstem passed from one generation to the next um well, so this this part too, where he's talking about the like 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 Muslims and the religion of the book, and he says, for example, the Quran states over and over again that it is a transcript, an exact copy of a book in heaven, and if you believe that, you will not alter the text in any way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a fascinating way because a lot of Christianity, as it as it progresses on, gets changed and modified and edited to suit the needs of those using it. But that's an interesting way to I don't know program future. Yeah religion kind of informational hygiene yeah yeah or just knowing that your message will get i don't know not even like filtered or abused but just it'll just change mm-hmm. out of your control yeah sorry so eventually we get to the pentecostal church uh with the uh the speaking in tongues and that was kind of like like yeah you know like mainstream christianity and catholicism kind of like put the kibosh on that it was kind of always there and eventually started to take hold again in like the 19th century. Um, and that revival started, I guess, in Kansas and spread to Texas. And it's kind of been slowly populating ever since 1906. And then mass media, 20, 20th century's mass media, high literacy rates and high speed transportation all served as superb vectors to the infection. So in a packed revival hall or a third world refugee encampment, Glossolalia spread from one person to the next as fast as panic. By the 80s, the number of Pentecostal worldwide, Pentecostals worldwide numbered in the tens of millions. And um, then came television, Reverend Rain, backed up by the vast media power of L. Bob Reif. And that's, Glossolalia is a cult. It's the cult of Asherah. Reverend, Wayne, Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates is the cult of Asherah, basically. And the the, the entire purpose of this cult is to spread the metavirus i guess is what we're saying right yeah yeah to to spread it first first to infect people via um like is this the part we go and it goes into some crazy shit about like like um third world country vaccines or whatnot 
Gabriel is here maybe a little later. Like there's this whole idea that like like the Pentecostals are like using like missionary practices to spread the the metavirus. I mean, it's not the same at all, but like it's it does remind me a little bit of just like when you would turn on an episode of the newsroom mm-hmm. and it was like Will McAvoy would sit down if a character who thinks exactly like him and they'd be like What's your story going to be about Will? And he'd give you this fucking history of like, uh, um, <laughs> what are they called? The, we got rid of the um, the fiscal conservatives that we had to deal with early for a while in the early 2000s. The neocons? The neocons. Mm-hmm. Oh, the neocons and the the ones who were super upset about the, the debt ceiling. And that was their whole platform. Anyway. Right, we, right. Yeah. We don't guys. talk about them. We don't talk about them as much anymore. Thank fuck. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. So 56 big chapter yeah so chapter 57 he's saying lagos figured this all out lagos typically for a non-businessman had a fatal flaw he thought too small he took all this shit to el bob rife el bob rife thinks big he immediately saw that this idea could be much more powerful uh than just you know controlling information that passes through programmers so he took all lagos idea and stole it told lagos to fuck off and he started dumping a lot of money into pentecostal churches took a small church in baby texas and built a new university took a small-time preacher Reverend Wayne Bedford and made him more important than the Pope. And he's talking about this church. He says they do a lot of talking about Jesus, but like many self-described Christian churches, that's nothing to do with Christianity except that they use his name. It's a post-rational yeah. religion. Wow, that what does that sound familiar to you at all, Marco? No, no. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just basically take over the world. These self-supporting religious franchises all over the earth. Oh yeah, here's where he starts talking about like the missionaries going to like the third world and like infecting people with the Shira and the mind virus uh, through uh, vaccines and whatnot. Yeah. Um, as a but promoter here in the first recall. world, they have snow crash. Yeah. Um, so he set up the raft to start transporting hundreds of thousands of his cultists from the wretched parts of Asia into the United States. The media image of the raft is like full of chaos where thousands of languages are spoken. There's no central authority, but that's not true. It's highly organized, tightly controlled. Everyone speaks to each other in tongues. El Bob Reif has taken Xenoglossia and perfected it, turned it into a science. Yeah. Um, so you're talking, so talking about the, like the, the weird wirehead guys. If one person, a hundred has a receiver, he can act as the local N and distribute the me of El Bob Reif to all the others. They will act out El Bob Reif's instructions as though they have been programmed to. And right now he has about a million of these people poised off the California coast. Uh, he also has the digital metavirus and binary code that he can infect computers or hackers via the optic nerve. And Eng asks, how did he translate into binary form? And Hero says, I don't think he did. I think he found it in space. He's got the whole like SETI network, you know, like radio astronomy. Uh, and he's, it's like he's just been listening to pick up the metavirus on one of those dishes. So the metavirus is everywhere. Anywhere life exists, the metavirus is there too, propagating through it. And originally, it was spread around on comets. It's probably how life first came to Earth. That's probably how the metavirus came here also. But comets are slow, whereas radio waves are fast. In binary form, a virus can bounce around the universe at the speed of light. So one would presume then that there is another alien civilization out there somewhere that has broadcast this metavirus, right? It could be long gone. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh it's a it's like an informational version of the thing. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like you have no you have no concept of the origins of that creature. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't know. So I'm trying to like so he was aware of it from Lagos went and caught it. In the next part, he talks about how he caught it in a controlled manner, like lightning in a bottle. I mean, like it's such a dangerous thing to even know that you caught it. Like you obviously you, you catch it, you can't look at it. Well, he's not a hacker though, so he could. Okay, you know, he doesn't have he doesn't have the biological. He doesn't have the deep that structures makes, that makes him susceptible. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an informational warfare agent for him to use at his discretion. When, when it's placed in the computer, it snow crashes the computer by causing an effect of new viruses. But it's much more devastating when it goes into a mind of a hacker, a person who has an understanding of binary code built into those deep structures. The binary metavirus will destroy the mind of a hacker. Um, so Ng asks, what do you think Rife wants? He says he wants to be Ozymandias, king of kings. Uh, look, it's simple. Once he converts you to his religion, he can control you with me. He can convert millions of people to his religion because it spreads like a fucking virus. People have no resistance to it because no one is used to thinking about religion. People aren't rational enough to argue about this kind of thing. So I don't know. This is all interesting. I wouldn't say I necessarily agree with all of it, you know, Um, but this idea that like, especially in the nineties, you know, religion was somewhat on a downswing. I feel like, Mm. Um, 
I feel like it was before evangelicals really took off. And it so, was, it was, yeah. I mean, you had the era of uh, finding out about like abuse and what have you. Yeah, I mean that was a little later, but like I, I, I think the '90s were kind of a time where religion was less present, maybe than it than it had been for a while. Um, and so he's he's kind of heroes arguing here that people aren't prepared to defend against these kind of ideas because they don't th- they're you know it's not something that they normally you know process day to day like they're they're a post-religious type of society yeah he actually says basically anyone who reads national Enquirer or watches pro wrestling on tv is easy to convert mm-hmm. um and rife's key I mean, realization- a lot of this does kind of feel like some 26 year old you know computer whiz who spends a lot of time on the internet has come up with the system of the world wherein he is a hacker god and these idiots who watch pro wrestling are, you know, susceptible to the metavirus. Yeah. 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 I mean, it plays to your own prejudices, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Rife's key realization was that there's no difference between modern culture and Sumerian. We have a huge workforce as illiterate or illiterate and relies on TV, which is sort of an oral tradition. We have a small, extremely literate power elite, the people who go into the metaverse, basically who understand the information's power, control society through a semi-mystical ability to speak magic through computer languages. This is also a, a thing that, Jesus, I don't know. Did it start in the 80s and it like it gained a certain kind of extra steam in the 90s? The idea that you had the the brain versus brawn. You know, you're yeah. friends of the nerds types. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just the beginning of that. And yeah, obviously the nerds won. Um, yeah. It is interesting to, how he talks about like television as this mass dissemination tool which it was certainly you know back in the day you'd have like 40 million people watching like a you know sitcom like just an average sitcom right you know, on a tuesday night or something whereas now obviously we don't have that but we do have twitter and social media which are maybe even i, I wouldn't say maybe i'd say we're definitely more capable of spreading ideas than even television hmm. um, uh you know uh a tweet can get around the world twice as fast before uh, the truth has time to put its pants on as sure. Mark Twain said. But I mean like uh, uh, the most extreme output or, or uh, evolution of this kind of idea he's putting is maybe parts of idiocracy. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit just of idiocracy the fact here. that the, the, the biggest or the, the movie that won eight Oscars last year was just called ass. <laughs> All right. So, uh, El Bob Rife, even if he could convert these these mystical hackers, uh, he wouldn't be able to use them because what they do is creative in nature and can't be duplicated by people running me. He can threaten us with blunt instruments uh, of Snow Crash. Uh, that, I think, is what happened to David. He may, may have been an experiment just to see Snow Crash worked on a real hacker. It may have been a warning shot to demonstrate Rife's power to the hacker community. The message of Shira gets broadcast into the technological priesthood, napalm on wildfire, as Ing says. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting. Answer. Sorry, uh, I, I was just going to say, other than David and Juanita, we really don't know anything else about the hacker community. Like, did, did well, we don't idea know if, that it is this tight knit community in a way that like all the big hackers know each other. Like that definitely does not exist now. You know, like but I, information technology is a massive career field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, smart people enter it, and so do idiots, quite mm-hmm. frankly. But like. We we know about David, we know about Juanita, and we know from his stories that there were others, especially in the beginning of like uh, the street and the metaverse and what have you. But it's like, I don't know, I just wonder in this universe, are there other people in like hushed rooms, hushed chat rooms being like, oh my God, David, we could be next. Well, he does the math in an earlier chapter where he narrows it down to like maybe 50,000 people or, or like kind of the elite of the elite who are on the street and like know mm. how it all runs and whatnot. Um but yeah, there's I think it's not in our section of chapters, but there's a thing later where he talks about like the graveyard demons mm. that kind of control like respawning in the, the street, basically. And here I was like, mm. well, I control them. And it's like just you like you're are you the only one like mm. can you imagine one person who like controlled like some major infrastructure of the Internet. No man should have all that power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here it says there's no way to stop the binary virus, but there is an antidote to Rife's bogus religion. The Namshub of Enki still exists. He gave a copy to his son, Marduk, who passed it on to Hammurabi. Marduk, who I think he says earlier, like, if that guy even really existed. Yeah, may or may not have been a real person. 
Yeah, but uh, Enki went out of his way to give the impression that he had passed on this Namshub in some form, letting later generations of hackers know that there was something that they were supposed to decode if Asher should rise again. And like, I think we're we're sp- believing that the Deuteronomists were one of those later generations of hackers, right? In a way, yeah. In, in a way. Um, yeah, so here it's fairly certain that the information that they need is in the clay envelope that was excavated out of Eridu, which is the seat of Enki. In other words, Enki was the local end of Eridu, and the temple of Eridu contained his me, including his Namshub. Yeah, and so they're pretty sure Elbob Rife has this tablet, and he possesses it, you know, just to, to keep it away from everyone else. Uh, if he can tame a copy of Namshub, what effect would it have? And asks, he says, if he could transmit the Namshub of Enki to all the end on the raft, they would relay it to all the RAF people. They would jam their mo- mother tongue neurons and prevent Rife from programming them with new me. Um, but we really need to get this done before the RAF breaks up, before all the refugees come ashore. Yeah. So the we're reminded that the university he started, their archaeology department's sole job was to excavate Eridu, mm-hmm. that Rife had to get it so that no one else would have the Namshub of Enki to use against him. Uh, but Hero says he could use some help. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, Ng he says, Mr. Rife will be most unhappy. He will try to retaliate by releasing Snow Crash against the technological priesthood. So that's like another factor here. Like they're they're trying to there's this race against time to do the Namcha Venki on the raft before the raft breaks up. But then yeah. Rife could retaliate with by like dropping the snow crash bomb on all the hackers in the metaverse, basically. And then Harris says we'll have to worry about that later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um because the, you know, the the hackers are our noble heroes who are willing to lay down lay down on the wire for us all sure yeah uh, yeah, yeah as but, we all know tech bros just the the absolute tits man they're just you know the, the 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 highest members of society who are looking out for all of us they they've got no chins but they're <laughs> selfless as fuck yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so easier said than Dunning says to reach the core one must fly over the raft or drive a small boat through its midst you know the uh, going on the uh, Death Star run here. Uh, Rife has a million people there with rifles and missile launchers. Even high-tech weapon systems cannot defeat organized small arms fire on a massive scale. You know, so here's like, get some choppers in there or something, anything. If I can get my hands on that Namshub of Enki and affect everyone on the raft of it, you can approach safely. Um, we'll, see we can come up says, with. we'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, Yeah. so fine, Hero says. Now, what about Reason? So in gives him a hypercard. Here's a new uh, system software. Should be a little less buggy. A little less. No piece of software is ever bug-free, Yang says. Uncle Enzo says, I guess there's a little bit of a Shira in all of us. <laughs> Which is like just the right kind of corny for Uncle Enzo. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So time for some crazy shit here. Chapter 58. Hero finds his own way out. Takes the elevator back down to the street uh, where he exits the skyscraper. And there's a black and white girl sitting on his motorcycle messing with the controls. I love the, just the little details about YT that she'd be doing this right now, like messing with his motorcycle. Uh, yeah. Where are you? She says, I'm on the raft too. Hey, we just made $25 million. He is sure that yeah. just this one time YT is going to be impressed by something that he says, but she's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she says that it'll pay for a really happening funeral when they mail her home in Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. She says, I'm in trouble. She admits for the first time in her life. I think my boyfriend is going to kill me. Who's your boyfriend? Raven. If avatars could turn pale and woozy and have to sit down on the sidewalk, heroes would. Now I know why he has poor impulse control tattooed across his forehead. There's just this really great exchange here where Hero says, I'm going to try to help you, but I'm not necessarily the safest guy on the raft to hang out with either. She says, did you hook up with your girlfriend yet? No, but I have high hopes for that, assuming I can stay alive. High hopes for what? Our relationship. Why, she asks. What changed between then and now? This is one of these other really simple and obvious questions that is irritating because Hero is not sure the answer. Uh, well, I think I, I figured out what she was doing, why she came here. So, YT says, another simple and obvious question. So I feel like I understand her now. You do? Yeah, well, sort of. And that is supposed to be a good thing? Well, sure. Hero, you're such a geek. She's a woman. You're a dude. You're not supposed to understand her. That's not what she's after. Well, what is she after, do you suppose? Keeping in mind that you've never actually met the woman and that you're going out with Raven. She doesn't want you to understand her. She knows that's impossible. She just wants you to understand yourself. Everything else is negotiable. Uh, yeah. Fascinating diagnosis of the relationship by young YT there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, he's like, he's responds to that to, just to finish that, that little passage. He's like, what makes you think I don't understand myself? And she's like, it's just obvious. You're a really smart hacker and the greatest sword fighter in the world. And you're delivering pizzas and promoting concerts that you don't make any money off of. How do you expect her to? <laughs> 
Uh, but then some noise from reality kind of breaks in. Um, seems like uh, like uh, the rail guns on the the raft just obliterated like a fishing trawler nearby. Yeah, yeah, screeching, ter- ter- tearing, tearing noises. Terrible, terrified neighborhood children. Men screaming Tagalog. Uh, Hero says that he thinks he's just ended up in a Gatling gun duel. One of the big guns in the Enterprise is now firing down into the neighborhood. I like so, how she's tr- like, are you going to sign off? And he's like, just shut up a second. Yeah. Trans trans neighborhood is like falling apart. It's another crazy scene of destruction. So here gets reason and jumps I mean, back it, into the Zodiac. It, he doesn't mention it. I, I hope trans family made it out. You yeah, know? we don't, we don't <laughs> it know. It kind they of suck if they got completely obliterated. Yeah, they might have just been melted by yeah. bullet fire. Um, yeah, so here it moves on to the next neighborhood, which is Malaysian. Gun keeps shooting at him. It's like radar control, better shooting up. Well, he's metal than flesh and blood. He's in the Zodiac. He's got reason, you know, he's in, in the, the raft with the heat sink trailing behind. So he's mobile now. Yeah. And there's a wire head up, up top as he moves to the Chinese neighborhood who's like watching Hero. And Hero can see the guy's like jaw flapping, which means he's sending updates to the raft central. So, you know, meanwhile, Whitey's in the metaverse just asking what's going on. And he tells her to take his avatar, throw him onto the motorcycle, and drive him to his office. She doesn't know how to drive a motorcycle, she says. And he says, it only has one control. Just twist the throttle and it goes. So but, he... You know, there is a bit here where um, he, he's decided it's time to leave because he's like, sees stuff just getting obliterated. So he like, he takes out like a fat stack of Kong bucks and just like puts it down on the dock or something, yeah. I yeah. guess, for trans family. Yeah. So presumably they survive in some yeah. fashion. So he aims the boat towards open water, like dimly superimposed on reality is the black and white figure of white T. She's like driving him on a motorcycle, like heading to the, into the wall of a skyscraper at Mach 1. So he turns off the view of the metaverse because he's in a he's in a boat like chase, basically. Yeah, just like the way he can like hop in and out of the street is kind of insane. Well, just yeah, like like she's not in a chase, but like she's driving him at Mach one on the motorcycle in the metaverse, superimposed over this real life boat chase. So his goggles go transparent. He switches to full gargoyle mode, enhanced visible light with false color infrared and millimeter wave radar. Um, yeah, and then we just have like this crazy action scene where he's um, he can see like the Gatling guns, you know, like it 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 saves his life. He's buzzing down a canal. Uh, he sees like a narrow green parabola appear like hanging across the water. It's like a, a, a razor wire. They stretched across like some piano wire that tried yeah. to decapitate him, but he like, he's able to duck under it because this gargoyle boat like recognizes it. Yeah. He just waves at the young Chinese men who set the booby trap. Yeah. So he's just doing all this, uh, you know, in this crazy action sequence. He asks YT where they are in the metaverse. She says they're on the road to his house, but they've overshot it six times now, probably because of the Mach one. Yeah, she's had to like move his avatar onto the bike, you know, because he can't control it right now. So she like moved the avatar on and it's like trying to drive him around. Yeah. Um, and she puts different... him at his desk, got to yeah. his office. Uh, he tells the librarian that he needs blueprints for the Enterprise, preferably in 3D. Then he opens up the uh, the CIC Earth thing and, you know, and it says you are here. So he sees where the raft is because it's not a normal stable part of the world. So he's not seeing it in 3D. Instead, he's like a red dot and a black and white image of the raft. Um, he says it's easier to solve a maze when you're looking down upon it. So he uses the map to navigate himself into open water where Reason's heat exchanger is steaming things up. Yeah, um, so he, he got out to the open Pacific, uh, like off the, the, the boulevard there. Um, so he's leaving the raft and, she's, and he's talking to White T. And she's like, oh, gee, thanks for all the help. Says, I'll be back in a minute. I just need a second to get myself organized. And she says, there's a lot of scary guys around here. They're watching me. He says, it's okay. I'm sure they'll listen to Reason. <laughs> It's picking up some uh, some fisheye jokes. Yeah, got to. <laughs> yeah, so fifty nine. Um, it starts like this: lips open the big suitcase, the screen is still on. Like showing him a flat desktop, display at the menu bar on top. He uses trackball down the menu. He's um, just like updating the firmware, you know. Yeah, yeah, just he's, as you do. He says fisheye wasn't really using reason the right way. It comes with its own mount that straps to your body, so you can uh, soak up the recoil with your pelvis, taking the force. And your body center of gravity. So you're not just supposed to like hold it like a hose, I guess, and like yeah. wave it around at people. It would be kind of funny if in like video games, you not only like could get the new souped up version of the gun you just had, but like you actually had to update the software yeah. on your super gun. Like you had to sit there and wait while your, your gun. I mean, I don't know. You can, you can in like Cyberpunk 2077, you can like upgrade your weapons and whatnot. So okay. I suppose it's kind of a, like the same thing yeah, uh, it's but, like but scanning for updates though for yeah it. yeah 
But he's saying if you put all this stuff, uh, you know, like the little harness and whatnot the right way, the gun's a lot easier to use accurately. And if you're goggling into a computer, it'll superimpose a handy crosshairs or whatever the gun's aimed at. So he's like, when he's in full gargoyle mode, he's like, and he's using this gun, it's like all the systems are connected to each other. He can like really know it. He can be very specific and precise. You know, it's he's not just like waving it around, hoping to hit stuff. He knows exactly what he's shooting at. Well, like gargoyle god mode. Yeah, I mean, which is really what this is for some for a certain like uh, I don't know futurist mm-hmm. post human mindsets. Um, but yeah, so the the librarian returns with the blueprints. Here, I ask him to overlay them over the UR here function from the CIC Earth map. Librarian warns that the blueprints are from before El Bob Rife bought the boat, which like so he could have made some changes. I just love that uh, it's just like pure video game shit where you can like he's got the the heads up display map, you know, as yeah. he's moving around. It's like augmented reality where he knows exactly where he needs to go. He can get directions and everything. This is the this is like the crazy expensive ass episode of the TV show. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't even know how you do the raft. Uh, first of all, even it's on water. Even if you're in a big tank. That's still tough to shoot. You know? Oh, always. Yeah. Rot water is yeah. always tough to shoot. It ruined, mm-hmm. It's the widow maker of film. I mean, even, even if you're just in a giant tank, you would have had to build a set, which was like a kind of a pier and a bunch of boats lashed together, you know, for, oh, for like multiple, hero to drive down multiple sets as you move to the various yeah, yeah. neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so back in reality, he finds an open boulevard of water that leads him into the core. It's got sort of a pedestrian catwalk running along the side. Um, yeah, there's like a. It's he can't like go very fast because if he runs into something, the boat might flip. Reason will yeah. sink, and Hero is strapped onto Reason right now. Yeah, so yeah, it's not going very fast, but he's he's heading there. So he stops somewhere, looks up, seeing like the row of like phalanx guns along the edge of the Enterprise's flight deck. He gets used to the he gets used to the gun and takes one out. Um, then he turns to the next and he's like spooked and he looks through the crosshairs and sees the big gun pointing at him. Which <laughs> I'm trying to think, isn't there? A, there's a brief moment in Saving Private Ryan when the sniper. The, the tank turns to him yeah, at one yeah, point. The, we see it through that, the scope. That's what takes him out. Yeah, Barry yeah. Pepper there. He's like blowing dudes away. And then yeah. like there's the one tank that's like raising its gun up. And it's like, oh, fuck. But especially like seeing just parts of the world through that focalized reality of the, the scope. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that that thing is on you and you have no time. Yeah. Um, so he yeah, fires it's like again. He just looks up suddenly and like, oh, shit. The Gatling gun's pointed right at him. It's so yeah. scary that he jerks the trigger involuntarily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seemingly missing, but ends up pushing himself and the boat back away. Uh, well, the, the giant coil, yeah, yeah, giant thing seemed coming out of the water around him makes him an easy target. So a moment later, he, the boat he got back pushed back into is destroyed by the big Enterprise gun because um, he got the recoil back in another boat. So he takes goes to another boat where he can steady himself and takes out the famous gun of reason. So he's basically uh, just like tooling around in the water, taking out these like radar antenna like phalanx guns. Well, trying not to get blown away by them at the same time, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's this is a pretty awesome action scene, like, if this is a TV show or a movie. Get, getting closer and closer to the Enterprise, like, using the You Are Here schematics, finding where the anti-torpedo armor is the weakest on its hull. Um, yeah, so the armor's tough, but he aims it at the wardroom and fires quite a bit until he makes a decent-sized hole in it. He basically just finds a spot on the hole where it's like, what would be a good place to enter from like water level, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, this part. And it's like, all right, I'm just going to like just blow away with depleted uranium shells in a massive hole in the yeah. side of the, the boat here and just like hop right in. So once he runs out of ammo, he tosses the gun in the water, reason sinks to the bottom. He's sure that Mr. Lee can dispatch one of the environmental direct action <laughs> posses to pick it up later, and they can haul a hero before the Tribunal of Environmental Crimes if they want to. But right now, he doesn't care. Yeah, it's like a nuclear isotope. He just drops in the water. Uh, so he's wriggling through the hole. His coverall makes a popping and hissing noise as the hot, sharp metal melts and tears through the synthetic material. He ends up leaving scrapes of it behind, welded to the, welded the hole. He's got a few first and second degree burns on parts of his skin that are now exposed, but they don't really hurt yet. That's how wound up he is. Later, they'll hurt. So he's he's fucking jacked to the tits right now, man. <laughs> so he uh, he uh, walks through the, uh, the smoke to the door that's been carved, you know, into a steel doily by reason. He kicks out its frame and enters a place that in the blueprints is simply marked passageway. Then, because it seems a good time as any, he draws his katana. Just pure video game mindset. It's just fucking awesome. He's like, he's in the, the metaverse, like doing his media, and then he's like, oh shit, the, like the heat's on. I got to get out of here real quick, YT. 
Like you take care of myself in the metaverse. I'm going to go out to sea, hook up reason properly, and then just have like a Gatling gun war where he's like, got to take out all the guns before he can move closer. Oh, and again, I had this weird sickness where we do these podcasts where I view each episode of the podcast as like, what if this was an episode of the show? Sure. So picture that you're watching like the, you're almost near the season finale. And it's like, we've just had a 20 minute sequence where he's explained to the Illuminati <laughs> The, how the the system of the world and how it's always worked. Then we had this intense 15 minute insane action sequence. And now we're going to go confront the girl that's been captured by the Bond villain and meet our villain mm-hmm. for the first time. Chapter 60. Yeah. YT's still on the hotel ship. Um, it says, while, while her partner's off doing something in reality, his avatar goes kind of slack. The body sits there like an inflatable love doll. And the face continues to go through all kinds of stretching exercises. She does not know what he's doing, but it looks like it must be exciting because most of the time he's either extremely surprised or scared shitless. <laughs> it's like watching Tony's face the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So she begins to hear deep rumbling noises, reality noises from outside. Sounds like a cross between her machine gun and a buzzsaw. Whenever she hears that noise, Hero's face gets this astonished look like, I'm about to die. Uh, but then Hero's office goes out of focus, uh, jumps into the air like it's painted on a window shade, and she's looking into the face of a guy, an Asian guy, a creep, a wirehead, one of the scary antenna dudes. Okay, she says, what do you want? He grabs her by the arm and hauls her out of the booth. There's another one with him. He grabs her other arm. And they stop, start walking her out. So, uh-oh, they found her. Yeah. I wonder uh, something- how. Like, has, is Raven awake yet? Maybe? I don't think so, because we don't we get medical personnel who shows up to try to get him out of his coma, basically. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe that's, yeah. I th- I wonder if they're just tracking, like, metaverse usage. Could be, yeah. Because B- L. Bob Reif is like, what do we hear? Like, he's the, the Lord, Lord of, of Fiber Optics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she says, it's not the first time she's been thrown out of a building by some suits, but the first time that they were a couple of life-size action figures from Toys R Us. Oh, man, do you remember how fun Toys R Us was when you were a kid? oh man yeah back in the day do you remember how like they just used to have like the video game like like before they were just like demo consoles they just have whole systems and a bunch of games that you could put in and try out yeah yeah Yeah. those fucking awesome times um so these dudes are lifeless she gets one arm free of one of the guys and they exhibit no emotion just grab her arm again they take her up near the helipad where the rare chopper is coming in for a landing again um, we see some guys getting out the helicopter appear to be medical personnel and she thinks they're off to fix Raven. Right, right. Bring him, yeah. bring him back from whatever he's doped up with. So the wireheads keep dragging YT along, basically like, taking her towards the Enterprise. She keeps struggling the whole way with these dudes. She even breaks the nose of one of the dudes who barely seems to notice and he pushes her into a cage. Yeah, yeah it's obvious by now that uh, talking to these guys doesn't work, so she just fights silently. She manages to give one of them a good stomp on the bridge of his nose and both feels and hears the bone break, but the man doesn't react in any way. And it, it, it snaps his head back on impact. Like um, she's so busy watching him, waiting to see when he's going to figure out that his nose is broken that, and that she's responsible for it, that she stops kicking and flailing long enough to get shoved into the cage. I love that. Yeah. Um, so the cage basically is like lifted up and she's taken over to the enterprise and then she gets this like view. Yeah. Cause she wasn't on the enterprise. She was on a, a hotel a ship very close to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, you know, not everything is exactly right on the Enterprise. Something is burning somewhere. People are firing guns. She's not entirely sure she wants to be there. I like as how long she's she... experiencing the chaos that Hero is causing here. Like we don't really see what he's doing exactly, but 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 she's she's still through and through. Despite everything, she's in this partnership because she says, or it says, as long as she is this high up in the air, she reconnoitres the ship and it confirms there's no way off. No handy gangplanks. No stairway thingies. Which I, I know that's kind of her survival mode, but I feel like. She's really adopted this, like, I need an intel, I need to do reconnaissance because of, yeah. of their partnership. Yeah, so she's being lowered, lowered towards the Enterprise, it's cage craning back and forth. Um, so I guess this is the only way on the Enterprise is, like, these cranes. Like, there yeah. are no gangplanks or anything. Well, I mean, would you, if you were help Bob Rife? I guess that's part of the security, yeah. Yeah, what, you, what you've, like, like amassed around mm. you. As a shield, yeah. So she pops a latch and climbs out of the thing. Now what is the question? Um, she sees a helicopter. She's expected to go towards it. She wishes she had her plank. Yeah, the Enterprise it's a, it's would a make mammoth her... twin-engine jet helicopter, like a flying bathtub, she says, festooned with guns and missiles. Yeah. So. Enterprise would make for some excellent skating, she realizes. Um, yeah, so she's... she. Oh, she talks about, her... like, the uh, like the big steam catapults they have for, like, launching airplanes and, like, wondering, like, what it would be like to ride that on your plank. <laughs> nice <laughs> which like i don't know i feel like that would just like splatter you into the yeah. ocean yeah uh 
as she walks towards the helicopter, one of the men standing by detaches him from the group and walks towards her. He's big with a body like a 50 gallon, 55 gallon drum and a mustache that turns upwards at the corners. As he comes towards her, he's laughing in a satisfied way, which pisses her off. Yeah, he says, well, don't you look like a forlorn little thing? He says, shit, honey, you look like a drown rat that got dried out again. Thanks, she says, you look like chiseled spam. <laughs> so he said, look, he says, I don't have time for this fucking adolescent banter. I grew up and got old specifically uh, to get away from this. It's not that you don't have time, she says, that you're not very good at it. You know who I am, he asks? Yeah, I know. You know who I am? YT, 15-year-old courier. And personal this- buddy of Uncle Enzo, she says, whipping out the string of dog tags. Yeah, this is El Bob Rice. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've met the we met the villain of the piece finally. Um, yeah, so he holds out one hand, startled as uh, um, as she's like tossed the uh, the, the dog tags to him and then whips around his fingers. He holds them up and reads them. Well, well, this is quite a little memento. He throws them back. I knew you were buddies of Uncle Enzo. Otherwise, I would have just dunked you instead of bringing you here to my spread. And frankly, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Because by the time the day is through, either Uncle Enzo will be out of a job or else I'll be, as you said, chiseled spam. I figure the big guy will be a lot less likely to throw a stinger through the windshield of my chopper if he knows his little Chiquita is on board. It's not like that, Whitey says. It's not a relationship where fucking is part of it. She's chagrined to learn the dog tags after all this time uh, did not have any magical effect on the bad guys. Rife turns around and starts walking back to the chopper. After a few steps, he turns back and looks at her, just standing there trying not to cry. You coming, he says. She looks at the chopper. I take it off her ass. Can I leave a note for Raven? Love that. <laughs> as far as Raven's concerned, I think you already made your point. Ha ha ha. Come on, girl. You're wasting Jeffy over there. That ain't good for the goddamn environment. <laughs> yeah, so they get in this like refurbished Soviet gunship with lots of armor, plating, uh, on board of Rife is YT's and Wright T is Rife's like tech director, his security chief. They say hi, and YT says, suck my toes. Also, <laughs> there's an ancient artifact on board. Yeah, it's the the Namshov Minky tablet, presumably. It's just sitting okay. there, a big, big ass clay tablet. And this TV show, I want to know your casting when another man comes on board the chopper. We find out this is Greg Ritchie, the president of the United States. Well, let me get to how she describes this guy because I found it fascinating. Let me see here. Another man duck walks across the flight deck in mortal fear of the whirling rotor blades and climbs in. He's about 60 with a dirigible of white hair that was not ruffled in any way by the downdraft. Hello, everyone, he says cheerfully. I don't think I've met you all. Just got here this morning. Now I'm on my way back again. Who are you? Tony asks. The new guy likes crestfallen. Greg Ritchie, he says. Then when no one seems to react, he jogs their memory. President of the United States? <laughs> yeah i don't know like some guy with big hair the guy that first came to my mind is i can't remember the actor's name he's in no time to die and he's in ingrid goes west the blonde guy with the big grin blonde guy um billy magnuson yeah isn't he kind of young He's a little too young. He's, a, he's like 20 years too young, I feel like. He's a little too young, but yeah. wouldn't he be like perfect? I mean, I mean it's yeah, either that or Conan years, O'Brien. Great. Yeah. It's either that or Conan O'Brien. Oh, Conan with like white hair. That'd be kind yeah. of funny. Yeah. yeah, I like how Whitey says, don't mind me. I'm just, I'm a hostage. Torque this baby, Rife says to the pilot. Let's go to LA. We got a mission to control. Um, so then fucking hero protagonist shows up out of nowhere. He's got a pistol and a sword drawn. Just as they're taking off, he like runs out onto the like the platform. Yeah. Yeah. You're a dead man, Rife shouts. You're stuck on the raft, asshole. I got a million myrmidons here. You're gonna kill them all. Swords don't run out of ammo, hero shouts. Oh. Badass. Sorry, gonna phone call. Um, well, what do you want? I want the tablet. You give me the tablet, and then you take you take off and let your million wireheads kill me. You don't give me the tablet, I'm gonna empty this clip in the windshield of your chopper. It's bulletproof. Ha, Rife says. No, it isn't, Hero says, as the rebels in Afghanistan found out. He is right, the pilot says. Fucking Soviet piece of shit. They put all this steel in its belly and then made the windshield out of glass. Love that. I just, you can just totally picture this, you know, like the scene playing out. Uh, yeah, here it says, "Give me the tablet, or I'm taking it." No, you ain't, Rice says. Cause I got, cause I got Tinkerbell here. Uh, at the last minute, YT tries to duck down so he won't see her. She's ashamed, but Hero locks eyes with her for just a moment, and she can see the defeat come into his face. Like, oh fuck! After yeah. all that, like she's fucking it up. She makes a dive for the door and gets halfway out under the down blast of the rotors. Tony grabs her coveralls collar and hauls her back inside. Shoves her down in her belly and puts one knee in the small of her back to hold her there. 
Meanwhile, the engine's powering up again, and out the open door, she can see the steel horizon of the carrier's deck drop from view. After all this time, she fucked up the plan. Shiro's here a refund. Or maybe not. She puts the heel of one hand against the edge of the clay tablet and shoves as hard as she can. It slides across the floor, teeters on the threshold, and spins out of the chopper. Another, another delivery made, another satisfied customer. Hell yeah. YT the courier, getting it done. Yeah. So that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, it's fantastic. So the hero, he, he thought he had them dead to rights, but oh shit, they've got YT. And it's like they both think they failed in that moment, but she manages to shove the, the Namsho Venki tablet out. And so she's, she's getting carried away by the chopper, presumably now, but hero's got the tablet. So a lot of options, at least but one objective completed, but he has more now that he has to work. Yeah. A lot of options, but in the esoteric style of naming your HBO episodes of a, of a prestige, crazy TV show, mm-hmm. I almost would call this one another satisfied customer. I can see it. Yeah. Um, that's a great show, man. Two episodes left. Yeah. We'll be doing chapters 61 through 66 in the next uh, episode. And then I think we'll we'll just do or sixty one through sixty five, sorry, and then sixty six through seventy two. So we'll just power all the way through the end on the yeah. one after the next one. I wonder should we? Well, yeah, let's just do sixty one to sixty five. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. We've got two episodes wow. of these left, and then I don't know if we've decided yet, but it would be fun to do some sort of wrap up, maybe maybe digest a movie or some other media Something related, yeah. related, you know, yeah. Uh, and um, then we'll we'll probably take a little bit of a break and then get into Diamond Age. Yeah. All right. All right. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.